heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. For sure, there is a reshaping of the political parties in the United States. I mean, that is absolutely happening. I don't think anybody can argue that, whether you're left or right side of the aisle. Uh, Both political parties are being restyled and reshaped, and probably more so than any time in the last hundred years. And, you know, what happens from there, whether they excel or whether they burn out, has happened happened before in our history, for sure. It hasn't always been the Democrat Party and the Republican Party, you know. Uh, And so we're, we're at that, well, that historical moment of time I always talk to you about. Anything could happen. And you're seeing that with the elections. And one of the things I've always prided ourselves on, and I've shared it with you many times over the years, is I always found it very unique how our country sort of was a safety mechanism in place, is the way I always seen it in my mind, at least. You know, if they went too far to the left or too far to the right, you know, the extremists, some of the lunatics, uh, the, the country always had the capacity to snap back to the center. You know, you see what I mean? And, I, and I've always seen that over the years. And uh, so I never got too, too, too concerned, even though there were times when I wasn't happy. Uh, surely one of those times was the election of Barack Obama. I mean, I because I, I knew I, I knew back in 07, uh, prior to him coming on the world stage, I, I knew that he was a Marxist. I knew that this was a problem and a cancer for our country. And I've shared that with you before, but my feelings on that. Not a fan of uh, number 44 by any stretch. But then again, I was also not a fan of Bush, Clinton and Bush. So it's been a lot of years since I've ever been really excited about a president. You bring it all the way back to number 40. I'm surely a fan of Ronald Reagan. Was he perfect? Not at all. Not by a long stretch. But I look at him as a bookend to one of the last uh, great presidents uh, between him and all the way forward to Trump. Now, these were people who were not well liked in the establishment. Uh, They were different. They were not career politicians specifically. They had other careers. Uh, So they weren't there, you know, coming out of the wheelchair in an oxygen tank. You know what I mean? Because I would suggest to you, you know, they're not there for 50, 60 years and growing mold on their head. The buildup of big government was in full display during the Bush, Clinton and Bush years. And I'm sure you agree with that statement. If you don't, it's it is a fact that was the buildup. But but it was actually more than that. It was more than just embracing big government and the bailouts and the buildouts and the auto workers. That was all on Bush's watch. That all happened there. In fact, he created a fertile playing ground for a Marxist just like Barack Obama to come in and sweep up the day. Perfect. And that's all compliments of W. I give full credit to W. There was another thing about Bush, Clinton, Bush, and it was the embracing of the globalist movement. And this is what we really started to see. America was becoming embedded with the globalists like never before, Uh, certainly in my lifetime that I had seen. And it was a lot of our adaptation to the big programs and our relationships to a lot of these big uh, United Nations type uh, agencies. Uh, But the bigger problem is our political class here. uh, You know, they, they don't work 
for or serve the interest of the American people, I would suggest to you that's not happening. They answer to and they serve the globalist. That's the problem we have right now. They're not, they're supposed to be servants of ours. That's the whole, see, this is why we're at such a breaking point with our framers and our constitution and who we are. That, that's it in a nutshell, people. That's it. That's the problem. So they're, they're not our servants anymore. They don't, you know, they flip the deck and they're now telling us what to do and how to do it. And because they're answering to the globalists, they are servants of the globalists, you see? And that's, that's, a big, that's a big change. That's a big adjustment. And that's where I think our country is faltering badly. And we're, we're feeling the pain of that right now in big ways, more than a lot of people even aware of who are stuck into their walls and in their lives and COVID and what have you, not really paying attention to what's happening, you know. Now, after Bush, after Clinton, and after Bush W., Barack Obama, well, he was the icing on the cake. You know, Obama, he's, he's, he's a globalist. If there ever was one, he's it. He has uh, no, no belief that America is an exceptional nation, not at all. In fact, you recall, you might, he traveled the world to apologize for America's superpower status more than once, and surely our claim of American exceptionalism. That's all a fact. That happened. And Barack Obama, and in fact, I'll, I'll say one other thing to you that's not very popular, but he embedded the United States government and all of our agencies with all kinds of bureaucracies, which is why Trump had a hell of a time with all these government agencies and whistleblowers and people uh, sharing secrets and everything else, because they, they were clearly uh, all, uh, you know, shadows of uh, Barack Obama and his legacy. And another thing Barack Obama did is, and this isn't going to sound nice either, but, you know, too bad. Um, he put more Muslims in Washington, D.C. and key government positions than ever before in our lifetimes. So that was another big adjustment. And then you've seen a lot of the turnover of Congress and you've seen the new breed of the squad and the left Marxist group. So you see, there's a lot of residual effect from the Obama administration, a lot of residual effect that's still here. Now, in fact, many people believe this is the Biden slash Obama administration that he's really calling the shots. We hear that a lot and everybody has a different opinion about it, but it's it's discussed enough, you know. What happened from there is Donald Trump came along and he screwed up their plans. Um, he, he, he screwed it all up, uh, rocked the canoe, as I say, you know, it's a canoe rocker, basically. But he, he only screwed up their plans temporarily. Keep that in your mind, please. Put that over to the side, okay? Right. It was just temporarily. He didn't stop the big master plan. To do that, he would have had to really drain the swamp in a bigger way. He'd have had to really pull the plug up. You know, he'd have to force that thing right out of there. In other words, he'd have, he'd have had to go further. And, and he could have done some things like that. He could have done a lot of firing of those agencies and things. Now, naturally, that's really rocking the canoe. And people get uncomfortable when you do that because they like the status quo. People like to be comfortable. They don't like canoe rockers. That's why I never got along with a lot of people never got along because I'm a canoe rocker. I tend to get in the canoe. Hey, let's have some fun, you know, left to right, right to left, make a few waves. And, you know, people get a little pissed off at you when you do that. But I always found it quite enjoyable to do that in the corporate boardrooms. And I do that in my life regularly when I can. All for good. I fight for good, not evil. But I definitely like to rock the canoe and not be complacent as a people. 
as, as a man here, you know. So he delayed those plans, Trump did, but he, he didn't he didn't uh, extinguish them entirely for sure, rest assured, because there was a lot of residual effect from the Marxist takeover that was happening under Bush, Clinton, Bush, and boom, Obama, you see. Now, the, the establishment, uh, by command of the globalists, okay, by command of the globalists, worked tirelessly, tirelessly, I mean, to remove number 45, Donald J. Trump from the Oval Office by hook or by crook. I mean, these people, you've got to give them an A++. They score big. I mean, they, they work tirelessly. Every hour of every day, they, you know, they were in those rooms figuring out how to get, how to really screw up his administration. No consideration ever for the American people, ever. Just the end game was to get this canoe rocker the hell out of the office, you see? That's, that's really all, that's what was happening there. And, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, okay, they actually hate each other. These two cats are not, they're not the kind of people you'd see at the bar or the lounge sharing a drink or a good time, rest assured. <laughs> they, they'd spike each other drink to kill the other one. They don't like each other, period. But Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama were working together very well to sabotage the Trump administration everyone, every way they could before Trump ever stepped a foot in the White House because they knew the score. They knew the bones. They knew where the bones were buried. They knew this guy was a rookie. They knew he wouldn't know a lot of things. They knew that they could baffle everybody and screw up the American people. So it was really sort of a game. And but that was that's why the whole Durham thing and the Christopher Steele. And now you see uh, Dushenko and you see uh, all of this stuff had Durham. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. It's disgusting. That all should have happened. And Trump should have pulled the lever more. But again, you have you know, you have all these double agents and people that have nefarious uh, deeds in their minds that are in all these agencies. And I just think back, I'm, I'm getting upset as I talk to you right now, thinking about, you know, Attorney General William Barr. I'm getting really up, up pissed is what I'm getting. He's a man we had a lot of respect for and thought that, okay, he might be the one to, and, you know, he just <laughs> petered out. I mean, of course, in, who could ever talk about Jeff Sessions? I mean, that was a wimp if there ever was one, right? I mean, these people just sucked up to the establishment of the globalists uh, completely. They didn't stand for anything. I mean, they, they all could have pushed back, but they didn't. And they still don't. And you see, a lot of the Republican Party doesn't today. A lot of, you call them rhinos, but there's a lot, there's a, there's a good swing of the Republican Party that is married with the globalists as well. So they're not cancer free here. Don't think I'm like rah, rah, Republican, go, go, go. You can do it. Nobody can. That's not what I'm saying. No, what I'm, the whole thing is corrupt people, you see. <clears throat> That's why Trump was a cancer to the whole thing. I mean, he was like, oh, my, it's like Raid, pulling out Raid out of the closet to, you know, kill the cockroaches. Ah, they run like acid. That uh, was the whole deal here, man, you see. So whatever happened to the 2020 election was also intentional. Okay, it was all intentional. And I'm not here to talk about, you know, election fraud and all that. There were plenty of nefarious things going on in America, the home of the China city on a hill and the, the land of this uh, constitutional republic and all that it stands for God almighty, right? Hmm. Plenty was going on here in America, friends. But that election 2020, 
That was also very intentional. And you see, no matter what you say about 2020, and, and it's, it, you know, whatever brand of fraud you want to use, use it. If you don't think there was any fraud and it was a clean election, terrific, whatever. And, you know, it's time to move forward as far as I can see. But here's the thing. The damage to the Trump brand was already done. It was extensive. It was extensive. You know, I mean, the damage even to middle America and, you know, these news bulletins and headlines and that was jammed down Americans' throats. My fellow Americans, mission accomplished, period. Now you can go ahead and add all the election fraud in and all kinds of other things you want to do and have everybody vote upside down backwards. But the damage to the Trump brand was there. Hmm. So drain of the swamp became uh, very limited in scope. And that program changed all, well, partly through the Trump administration, actually, to him running around chasing his tail all the time. You see how that works? And of course, the media is off to the side. You know, they're applauding all this. They're just happy. You know, they're just applauding. And, uh, you know, Trump was tracing his tail, bro. And the rest of us were like, ah, we're a little dumbfounded. What's the next news story? The next crisis? It wasn't a week that gone by. We didn't have another crisis. Call it what you want. The guy's mentally deranged. 25th Amendment. Pull him out. Impeach him. He's talking to Ukraine. He wants, you know, he wants evidence. I mean, the, 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 the scandals were endless. We've never seen anything like this. I mean, friends, they pulled a president out of office for, for almost nothing. I mean, Nixon, Watergate was nothing compared to this. And still today, they run around thinking nothing happened. And they're still on their high horse now trying to prove otherwise. But I'm not here to talk about all that today with Durham and all that. But they never let it go. So Joe Biden. Well, my fellow Americans, it goes like this. Joe Biden. Well, he's the career yes-man politician, heavily embedded with the globalists, very, very unassuming, the perfect candidate to pick up the Obama legacy and move it forward. And that's where the story starts today. Welcome into the voice of a nation. This is Malcolm Out Loud here, yours truly. And uh, let me bring on now Wallace Garneau. Wallace spent 23 years as e-commerce manager, IT manager, author of the book, The Way Forward, Lean the Leadership and Systems, Thinking for Larger Small Businesses. But Wallace is a great mind. He's a great thinker. Uh, his essays, uh, the thesis he puts out there, the, uh, you know, I love a, I love an article that makes you think, that stretches the mind, uh, the boundaries of the talk and starts to connect dots for you to think. Now, I'm not talking theories and things, but I'm talking about where the evidence points and where it leads us. It's a, typically a moment of truth. And there is one such like that today as I talk to you, my friends, that I implore you to read and digest and then read it again and circulate it, share it. It's called The Reckoning. And it got my attention for a lot of reasons that I just spoke to you about just moments ago here. So, Wallace, we are seeing these, this alignment or realignments of these political parties. I predicted the Democrat Party demise some years ago uh, through the Trump years because they had gone so far. They had stretched themselves beyond anybody's imagination, um, and they took every liberty they could. And I figured, oh, and I, here's, and I thought this. I thought, well... 
the American people are not going to put up with this. I mean, they're going to they're going to get pissed off and they're going to push back on Trump, uh, on uh, the establishment, rather, to support this president. It doesn't matter whether you like, you know, it isn't even about I like Trump, I don't like Trump or whatever. I, I know he's a very polarizing figure to many people. It's not even about that. It's the fact that at some point, too much is too much. And if you push too far, you 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 get people to they, they become awake. They, they start to smell uh, the, the, the salt there or the, or the strong coffee, whatever. And they're now aware. And that's what I thought was going on through the Trump administration. And I started to say, you know, the Democrat Party is going to implode. This can't survive. There's no way this can survive. We've never seen anything like this in the history of our nation. There's no way that they come out smelling good on the other side of this thing. Let's start there. Uh, with this, and I'm, again, not pulling, pulling favorites with the Republican Party either. I have plenty of complaints there. But your feelings right now, do they come out smelling good on the other side at this point? Or is this, is this coming to an end point for them at some point here? I think the Democrat Party, as we know it, is coming to uh, its its end game, which isn't to say there isn't going to be a Democrat Party. It's just to say that the Democrat Party that we see coming out of this will be very different than the Democrat Party that we see going into it. And what the Democrat Party is going to look like is, is anybody's guess. Uh, what happened, though, uh, I make the comparison to Andrew Dice Clay and, and shock humor. Uh, you might remember Andrew Dice Clay uh, 30 years ago was a very, very popular comedian. And what he would do is he would say these ridiculously outrageous uh, uh, things about women. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Feminism. Uh, just completely, uh, completely chauvinist. That's the word I'm looking for. Sorry. He'd make these completely chauvinist statements. And, and the audience, not really knowing how to react to it, in many cases, would laugh. And certainly the people that went to his shows and paid money to see him. Uh, they would hear these outrageous things that he would say and not really knowing how to react to it, they would laugh. And that's uh, a form of comedy that can be very effective. You shock your audience, they don't know how to react, and the response then is laughter. The Democrats have been using something very, very similar to that, uh, not for comedy, but in, in terms of, of political outrage. What they have been doing is they have been creating outrage by essentially saying outrageous things. And in order to do that, just as Andrew Dice Clay had to continuously up the ante, he had to continuously say things that were more outrageous than things he'd said in the past. Otherwise, the shock value wasn't there. They're doing the same thing with outrage. In order to generate outrage amongst their supporters, they have to continuously say more outrageous things. And what happens is with Andrew Dice Clay, he got to the point where he'd push the envelope as far as he possibly could. And so he'd go out, do something on stage and, and make a, an outrageous statement. But it wasn't outrageous enough to be funny. He knew that he couldn't go any further, and so he, you know, he bored the part of his audience that wanted to be shocked. And at the same time, he turned off other parts of the audience because now he was above the, he was, he was going too far. It's the same thing with the outrage. What the Democrats have done is they put themselves in a position where, in order to continue to generate the outrage, in order to keep the the core part of their base, the the hard left, if you will, engaged, they have to say things that are so ridiculously outrageous that they're losing the moderate side of the, of the Democrat Party. And I, I think what we're seeing is that, uh, is, is that uh, mothers, for example, seeing their children being taught critical race theory in schools, they're, they're just, that's a bridge too far. And, and so 
What we're seeing is the moderate part of the Democrat Party come off of the Democrat Party. I don't think they really feel like they have a home now. Now, I'm not suggesting that they're all of a sudden going to become Republicans. Uh, but I think we're seeing is a realigning of the two-party system in which if you believe in any vestige of freedom or any vestige of free markets, you're going to be on the political right. Uh, even if you want a, a strong social safety net, you know, if you want to be able to go to the grocery store and choose your food, you're going to be on the political right. And if you want totalitarianism of any stripe, whether it's fascism, communism, some other form of socialism, uh, serfdom, whatever it may be, uh, that is the new Democrat Party. So I think both parties are realigning, and I think the system itself is just kind of, it's what we're seeing a, a major shift in, in, in what people in the country want with, with kind of a globalist side on the one side and, and, uh, and, and more of a free market American side on, on the other side. And as, as you said, uh, but the issue with globalism is, and this is this is interesting too, there isn't one set of globalism. I mean, I think it's like Neville Chamberlain when he said we're going to create peace for our time. He forgot that Hitler didn't want peace for our time, but he was still negotiating with the guy. We're seeing something very similar to this too, where I think we are grossly underestimating communist China, the Chinese Communist Party and Xi Jinping. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't want globalism the way that uh, Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama do. He's playing along to be with them right now because their interests are aligned with the interests that he has for communist China, but they are not in any way, shape, or form on the same yeah. page with this. Yeah, I want to come back to China in a moment here. Uh, you know, the comparison, let me stay on Andrew Dice Clay, please, uh, for the moment. Uh, it's a very interesting comparison, and we can all relate to this because we know Andrew Dice Clay. We've seen him in action. Most Americans have. Very similar, uh, Wallace, the, uh, the discussion you bring up is, uh, today is very similar to what's happening to Dave Chappelle. It's the same thing. Uh, in their eyes, he's gone too far. And you see, he's been shunned and the woke have gone right after him. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I think it's a little bit different in that he didn't necessarily outrage his own uh, fans, you know, people that, that know David Chevelle, he's, he's, he's never been afraid to speak his mind. Well, that's an interesting point, but I think he's in the process that that could happen because, in other words, he's either going to go down in a flame and it won't be of glory or he's going to have to come back and he's going to be in the what I'm saying is he's in the process of I probably run on the same road that it could happen the same way that Andrew Dice Clay did, because as you point out in the piece, you can't you can't uh, please either side. You can't. That's the same thing. What's happened in America with our political class? You can't please either side, and that's what your argument is with Andrew Dice Clay. He his he, his um, real followers got bored with him because he backed off. He didn't keep pushing anymore, and that. So Dave Chappelle's going to probably he could have the same argument, same problem. I think. Yeah, he could. If he could, if he uses shock to try to to try to create, uh, to try to make people laugh, he could absolutely fall. Well, I watched one of his programs recently, and I mean, and you know, it, it's uh, it's out there. I mean, the first of all, the, these comedians that use language uh, where they use a, uh, uh, they feel the need to take a four letter word and use it as a, a as a, a verb, a noun, an adverb, a conjunction, and every other possible piece in the English language. Uh, it definitely rattles the mind. It takes away a bit from the content itself. And surely he's one that does that. But um, but I digress when it comes to this. But the comparison to, to Dice Clay is interesting because Andrew Dice Clay, while he still is performing out there, he's no longer the, um, uh, the, the megastar is what you point out that he was. The relationship to the Democrat Party when we see, I was thinking in the same terms of what you explained, Wallace, and how much they pushed through the Trump years, where they, I mean, they broke every rule, they broke every boundary. I mean, they just pushed so far. And 
And it was, it, it really was truly remarkable that we were seeing this happen because we'd never seen anything quite like that. And I thought they're going to self-destruct in the same way that you say now, but it is, it is sort of that way now with the Democrat party, because that infight in there, they're pulling down the statues. They've got the woke uh, that you can't like, you, you can't say what you really want to say. So free speech, you know, your amendments are all gone. You, you have no freedoms anymore. All of this is it's, it's an erosion of our liberties in our country. And I think every, I think most about all Americans can feel it. I, I, you know, I'll tell you, I think about every American, just no matter what stripe they come from, Wallace, whether it's a, uh, as you say, a moderate Democrat, this could be a very good thing because we could see the moderate JFK wing of a party have another life. And you're seeing that now a little bit with Manchin, who's pushing back in cinema. But Manchin is really drawing the line. He's actually standing the last uh, many uh, hours here in the last day or two. He doesn't want any more spending with this next bill. And that's going to be a real fight in that party. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it's absolutely going to be a big fight in that party. I don't think there is a dollar that the Democrats would not spend. I really think that when you when you look at the Bernie Sanders, the Alexandria, the Casio-Cortez, you know, I mean, now Joe Biden kind of following that wing, too. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, they look at the national income. They use the phrase national income. And when, they, when you use the phrase national income, what you're essentially doing is you know, you're, you're, you're making the assumption that that belongs to the government and that if the government allows the people who earn money to keep some of it, they're being generous. And you, you hear that in their rhetoric. Uh, Bernie Sanders saying tax the rich. Well, they already tax the rich. The rich pay almost all of the taxes. The upper 10%, if you if you go you know from the 99th percentile, you go down to the 10th. The, the 10% richest Americans essentially pay all of the taxes. More than half of Americans pay uh, an effective negative tax rate. When you look at the, the returns they get from the tax system um, with deductions and, and credits and everything else, you know, they get more money back than they put into it. And so you know, it's absolutely ridiculous, but that, that is their perspective, that the money belongs to the government. And if they let us keep some of it, they're being generous. Yeah. Well, th that argument is a real argument, and we're seeing it now more than ever. And, you know, I was thinking just the other day, uh, Wallace, when, um, when they were talking about this billionaire tax and the multi-billionaire tax and whatever, and, you know, we're going to hit them. We're going to put more pain on them. We're going to hit them where it counts. And all these you know, people run around saying that. And I'm thinking to myself, and I'm actually laughing internally because I'm thinking a lot of these cats voted for them. And then they started to separate a little bit. And a lot of them started thinking about how they were going to hide their money again or which country they were sending it to. I mean, they these people want their cake and eat it, too. They're not willing to give it all to the government, you think? No, of course they're not. And I don't think the government really wants to take it. Uh, when you look at some of the rich people in our country, Nancy Pelosi is worth, I believe, uh, close to $100 million. The Clintons are worth well over a quarter of a billion dollars. Uh, Barack Obama is signing $100 million deals with Netflix. They are rich. They are the 1%. And uh, they're not going to give their money to the government. What they do is they create these outrageous tax rates, but then they exclude their income from it. They, they have deductions and things that are... Now, the, the rich people... The fact of the matter is that the top 10% of Americans are paying the highest proportion of all taxes paid that they have ever paid in our country. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we were to increase the rates on them, we're just going to earn less money because they don't want it to go to government. You know, we're not going to be able to get more money out of the rich. And it's just the idea that we could is absurd. The idea that the that the Democrats want to, since really they are the elite, uh, that's absurd. What they really want to do is they want to they want to go after not the top one percent, but but maybe they want to take more out of the middle class. And then they they the whole idea that they're going to tax the rich more is a lie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I want to 
uh, I want to ask you here now, as we as we take a look at this and we we see what's happening with our with our country and this globalist movement that is surely uh, out in the light of day right now. Um, before I dive a little bit more into this communist manifesto and China's role in all of this, what's happening, let me connect the dots this way with you, Wallace. There, all right. So the realignment of these parties right now. That's the infighting that's happening both on the Democrat side and the Republican side. And we see both of those right now because there's a lot of Republicans uh, really counting their chips right now to even determine if they have a shot come 2022 to stay in the race. I think a lot of them will leave office uh, knowing that they burnt all of their, uh, uh, you know, their, uh, they've burnt up all of their, their, um, their, I would say willpower, but their, um, something with American people, you know, their, their privileges, they don't, they don't get anymore. The American people are on to them. I think a lot of this is, I guess my point is a lot of this is being exposed right now. There, there could be a good thing to all of this right now, but here, it, it, as we make this switch over, as I really want to talk about the danger in this, I want people to be aware of the danger. Um, the reshaping of this is like when you re, when you move the chairs around on the Titanic uh, there's a danger in that. There's a danger with what's taken place here and the reshaping of both of these political parties could be a good thing, uh, very clearly, to be sure. Uh, it could be an opportunity. But this is a time where I think the American people are going to have to pay very close attention uh, to what has taken place and transpiring from all of this, because it's not business as usual. It's not politics as usual in our country. We're at a very dangerous moment. And we'll get into more of that the second half of this program with the potential of war, what might happen, China's role in this and all of that. But that danger, speak just to that point for a moment, uh, please, about the danger in the reshaping, the realignment of these two political parties and why and how the American people need to pay attention. Well, it's dangerous on a number of different fronts. And I think we talk about the danger. I think it's important to keep in mind that the word crisis uh, every crisis is a dangerous opportunity. So it's both dangerous. And as you said, it could be an opportunity. Uh, it's dangerous on multiple levels, though, because the direction that the two parties want to take the country in are not you can't do both. You cannot both be a socialist and a free market country. You cannot uh, both be a serf and a free person. So when they want to take away the freedom of speech or they want to ban what they call hate speech, which would really be anything they disagree with. Uh, you know, they, they, the left and the right want to go in completely different directions that they cannot do together. And at some point, one side is going to enforce its will upon the other, whether that's the right telling the left, we're in charge now, so shut up and live your life as you see fit, or the left saying, you do what we tell you, or we're going to put a gun to your head. Uh, you, you can't do both. It's it's one or the other. Uh, and then the, the, the other danger, obviously, is that uh, there is no kumbaya globalist movement out there, but you have are the leaders of what you might call the Western world that have kind of an image of what they want the world to look like, which I think is, is when, when you look at the rhetoric that they have, it's essentially a, a, a one nation communist world. Uh, but that's not what Russia wants. That's not what China wants. Uh, that's not what a number of countries in the Middle East want. It's certainly not what ISIS wants or what, what Al-Qaeda wants. Uh, so you have these dangerous forces out there that are willing to utilize the naivety of the Western globalists in order to weaken Western countries. That's what China wants, is to see us weakened so that they can become the dominant world power. So you know, they're happy to, to play patty cake with, with, with Joe Biden in terms of making America poor and weak. But their end game is not a Westernized version of communism. They're, they want to dominate the earth. 
Yeah, uh, they, they sure do. And and we'll we'll dive more into all of that in just a moment here. We're speaking with Wallace Garneau here. And uh, very interesting. This piece, uh, definitely want you to read it, uh, is The Reckoning. Um, it, just, it just brings you along in a story of where we're at right now and where the potential danger is ahead of the head. Now, here's the caveat to what I want you to understand that we're going to talk about just ahead here. The, the caveat most important to this talk today why I think it matters when we talk about this realignment and Wallace hit it head on uh, with this opportunity. I always say to you, within every collapse, every crisis, every moment, and this goes for our personal lives as well. You know, sometimes we have to fall low to be able to pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off and create another opportunity or another strategy or another direction or a, or a relifting or a, uh, it, it, there's something about that, that uh, pulling victory out of the moment of defeat is what I'm speaking about. Does that make sense? You know, victory out of the moment of defeat. And, and we've all been unsettled. Let me say to you, I think you might all agree. This country is hot, most very unsettled right now. I mean, COVID was the finishing touch on a lot of unrest and uncertainty. This whole defunding the police, law and order, stripping of the military, woke and, you know, all this crazy stuff going on in our militaries, our law enforcement. But the COVID, which nobody has been unscathed from COVID. I mean, even if you're on an island somewhere, you, you've heard about it or know what the hell we're talking about it. They, they, I'm sure they know about it on other planets from now. Uh, so, you know, the stress put on us as a people has been tremendous is what I'm suggesting to you. There's no doubt about it. I mean, across the spectrum. And that's the one unifying force, just like with 9-11, we came together as a people because it was a unifying force. I think in a very interesting sort of way, I want to suggest to you right now, there's an opportunity here. And that, and I always say to you, invite your you know, Democrats in, left of center, moderates, independents. You know, I have a lot of great Democrat friends I love very much. Uh, I mean, you know, the Marxist group of that, you know, far over to the left, they're not interested really in talking to us because they have a different agenda. Uh, they're, they're, they're not in the ballpark for what we're looking for. But I think I always say that you invite those people into the show because that's the connecting force in all of this. And the connecting force that at some point we see ourselves as Americans, not as the left or the right or the Democrat, Republican or whatever. We see ourselves as a people. And that kind of happened briefly at 9-11. When we were attacked and hit in the gut, uh, we had to collect our thoughts from defeat and we had to build from that moment on. And it's the same thing right now from this moment of where we are in some ways, I don't want to use the word defeat, but we are being defeated in some ways. I mean, our liberties are being stripped by the hour from uh, these uh, out of control Marxist mayors, governors, committees, uh, presidents, Congress, you name it. Anybody in authority has grabbed the magic wand and is now telling you what and how to do it. And the problem is there's a good part of the country that's going along with the gig. That's the sad part of it. Uh, And so there's a wake up call here. But from this, you know, the question we have to ask ourselves is, have we gotten to that point of defeat so much? Are we there? Do we come to the point of saying, uncle, the, 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 the moment of mercy where we then learn our lessons and we become the better America? You know, that's my wish, hope and prayer for our current plight and where we are. Uh, I don't like to be, you know, with this moment we're talking about, too, I'm not, I don't really want you to think I'm trying to be like this overdramatic, you know, like, wow, wow, wow. I, I say this with a bit of certainty, people, because there isn't about anybody I talk to 
on a moment daily basis about anybody that I can think about in past months and years here who said to me, Malcolm, we're doing very well. Country's doing solid. I feel pretty good. I, I love what, what yeah, yeah, we're, we're there, Matt. We're there. I haven't heard that in quite some time, you see. So uh, that means everybody collectively across the board knows we're in a heap of trouble. And in fact, the thing that's always said to me is something's not right. Something's not, it doesn't feel right, Malcolm. What's going on? So I hear that a lot. You see what I mean? So that's that moment that I'm speaking about. That's the friction, but that's the spark. And that's that moment where opportunity could absolutely come from that. And, but we've got to, but there's some things we have to do. One of the things that in this uh, argument that Wallace puts up, uh, the, this essay he's put together, sort of a thesis that explains what, uh, uh, what the possibilities are, the potential of what could happen. And he gets in talking about nuclear war, which we really haven't talked about since really the Soviet Union on this level. That was sort of put away in the closet a little bit, you see? And that was obviously the work of Ronald Reagan, uh, number 40, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, Margaret Thatcher. Uh, there were some interesting people on the world stage back then, you see, who took control of the situation, became the adults in the room, more or less. And we got lucky and it went our way. But we're sort of at that moment again, where we need that somebody to rise. And, you know, a lot of people think it's Trump, but you know, I, it's hard to say people because he has really shook the canoe, rocked the canoe enough that he's pissed a lot of people off. And that's, you got, you know, he, the trouble with Trump is to be a statesman, you know, you've got to be able to control that side and you've got to be able to know and not exactly as I sometimes reference to you, piss on the tulips, where you get the left so enraged that they want to tear your head off and slice your heart out. That's kind of where we were at, people, at the end of the trust. So I'm not sure he's your man going down. Some of you are going, Malcolm, what are you saying? I know we got a lot of Trump people here. I, I listen, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying one or the other. I'm just telling you that, uh, you know, it, it really depends. Now, listen, you got to have courage. you got to have a spot. You got, you know, Trump's got all that. He's also got an ego the size of the planet. And that can be a good thing. Not saying it's totally bad, but you have to know it's like a chess game. You got to know when to pull, when to play, when to push and when to shut the hell up. Does that make sense? I think so. And so that's where we're going to have to be concerning for our leaders. But the problem is going to be Xi Jinping, China, how that fits into that. We'll hold on to that. We'll pick up with Wallace Garneau in a moment. And I want to mention to you, if I don't know if you heard the program yesterday with uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Vincent Giampapa on COVID in your cells. But if you miss that, don't be a fool go listen to it on podcast. It's going to podcast within hours if you are hearing this on uh, the talk radio. And if it's on podcast, if you're hearing this on podcast, it's already on podcast. Go get that show and listen to it. COVID in your cells, the Q&A, listen to the entire show. There's so much to learn from that that are so valuable in our lives. I've learned so much from this COVID uh, exercise that we've gone through here. And certainly because of the expertise on our platform as well. But one of the products I want you to think about as we go to pause here is AC11. And, uh, you know, Dr. McCullough and I have been taking AC11. We've been talking about it for a bit, but it's a product from Healthy Cell that is pretty exciting. It comes from the, uh, the uh, extracts, a patented extract from the Amazon rainforest, if you will. And there are some critical, critical functions in this. 
Uh, the health of our cells is so vital, whether you're fighting COVID, influenza, virus, colds, or the way we age, uh, it's critical, people. And, you know, and see, COVID and viruses like that, they attack our cells. It's our white blood cells they're attacking. Uh, and they go after like uh, the, these, uh, these cells, including the, which we talked about yesterday in the program, the NK cells. And so, and that's where it begins to damage and it goes after your healthy cells and it destroys. AC11, uh, it, it provides, uh, it, it, it improves the uh, antioxidant, I guess you'd say, uh, to help prevent these cells. To, to It repairs their damage, first of all, the cell damage. It, uh, anyways, it's terrific stuff. I'm surely not an expert on it. I try to give you enough to go with so you know what you're doing. I've been taking it for about, eh, about maybe almost two months. I just, I swear by it. I don't see myself not taking it again in my lifetime. It's very uh, cost-effective. I, I think it's 30 something dollars for the, the thing. Uh, I, whatever it is, it's very affordable. And we got to put our health first. Uh, you'll see some ads back at America Out Loud. Uh, our listeners get 20% off the first order. Regardless, healthycell.com forward slash out loud or click the banner ad back at America Out Loud. And again, you'll see some new ads for the AC11 as well. Go get some AC11 for yourself, please. I take the AMPM regiment every day, I, I take the immune super boost. It's a beautiful thing in America, my friends. We're going to take a pause. We'll be back with more Voice of a Nation. AmericaOutloud.com is the alternative from the agenda-driven globalist. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. On-demand podcast or real-time talk radio with our streaming apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed ourselves. But most food and supplements don't reach ourselves, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L. And use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Join you back here on The Voice of a Nation. It is Malcolm Out Loud here, yours truly. Thank you for being with me on the mission. The, the article again is The Reckoning. Uh, the author is Wallace Garneau, who is with me now. Uh, and as a footnote and a programmer note, I want to tell you right now, I want you to tune in this weekend to Viewpoint this Sunday. Uh, we're going to have Dr. Lee Meng Young on. We're going to have Wallace Garneau on. We're going to talk about the, some of the ramifications of the talk we're going to that we're having with you right now. But I, I, this and it's going to be exceptional. And we're going to 
get somebody who knows from the inside of the CCP and the communist regime out there in China and what they're really up to and what's going on. The point where you say we could very well be headed for a nuclear war, would they be so foolish as to do that? And why would they do that? They, do, do they see a world without a United States of America? You probably would say yes to that, correct? Well, I, I would say that China sees the actually their war college at one point in time argued that they should try to kill off 200 million of us and, and colonize the United States. But so you've got some of the whole Lebensraum thing that, that, that Germany was trying to do with World War II moving east. Uh, well, hold on. Maybe certain... that's what they're doing with the vaccines right now. Could... Who knows? What do you think? <laughs> right? So I digress. Go ahead. They, they, they do believe yeah. that biological warfare is going to be uh, the biggest component of World War Three, which Absolutely. which I would say we're in. Um, but in terms of nuclear weapons, I think the unique thing about China is uh, the Soviet Union, while it was a communist country and obviously communism, capitalism, we were at, at logger jams with with them. Uh, they still were were European in terms of of culture and what have you. And as, as a consequence, the idea of individual life mattering, I think even for the Soviets, I think that was was still out there to a certain degree. They did not view nuclear weapons as something that you could actually use. They, people talk about tactical nuclear weapons. Well, yeah, you could fire nuclear weapons and you could kill a bunch of people in an area, but then you can't really effectively move through that area. Uh, but China, I think, looks at nuclear weapons as something that you could use as long as you win. You know, if you were to take out Washington, D.C., Denver, uh, Miami, maybe Detroit, Chicago, L.A., New York, take out key American cities, you could absolutely cripple the United States. And if you could do that in such a way that there would not be a nuclear response, China is, is you know, the, the culture of, of, of that part of the world, of China and, and what have you, is, is much more... It's, it's much more based upon the greatness of the state or the greatness of the country than it is the individual. And even if we were to kill four or five million Chinese in response, I, I really I look at the government of China and I think they might they might consider that a winning bet. Yeah, no. Well, when you've got that kind of people, one point four billion, uh, then, you know, right. I mean, there's this whole conversation constantly happening about depopulation in all areas of the world. Uh, so the. This idea that uh, China would unleash a nuclear weapon, it, it's an interesting juxtaposition of my thinking, because I've been thinking that, you know, the future was going to be bioweapons and cyber weapons. Uh, I, I've really been talking about that as more of the, the future of warfare and where we're losing the edge and AI as well, by the way. Those components, Wallace, I felt was going to be the future that and we're not on top of all those areas where we should be. Uh, they've stolen a lot of technology, but they're also imp they're also improving the technology. And whereas we're fighting with ourselves, they're they're working on all this stuff in their back rooms and their labs and other things. So, but this whole thing of the hypersonic missile, which they did a test launch, uh, you know, in uh, August. You say it wasn't successful. A lot of other people say it wasn't. I would argue with that and say, you know, the fact that you miss your uh, your mark by 10 miles or 50 miles or something. I, I think that's enough damage to be damaged at that point. And the fallout from the nuclear, I mean, it's not like a precise bomb. You can throw, you know, some nuclear launch enough of those and do the damage to the, those cities enough that it would create a crisis. So I consider that a success. What happened with that hypersonic missile? I think you consider it not so much that way as some other people don't. Uh, it might be a point we would differ on. But you think that hypersonic missile, I mean, they're not doing that uh, 
to feel good. I mean, they're doing that because they think they might use, you think they might use that hypersonic missile and attach nuclear to it, really, is what you're saying, right? It's a first strike weapon. It's it's designed to be able to uh, to to hit a target before there's there's any opportunity to respond to it. It's it's definitely a first strike sort of, of, of weapon system. I would say it was unsuccessful because what the what the missile actually hit was right, the right, uh, command right. center right. that was that was all the scientists and, and military people that were responsible for this thing. That's that's what it hit. And to me, that's an indication that we were in charge that what you describe right there uh, is a Laurel and Hardy moment. You know that, right? I mean, where yes. it hits. Yeah. I mean, it's a Laurel and Hardy moment. And actually we talked about that some weeks ago, we were one of the first in the nation to talk about what, and I was so, I was fascinated with the fact that you put that in your piece. I didn't realize you knew all of that. I was thrilled that you had it in there. Ilana Friedman, our research intelligence analyst, and I had a great couple of conversations about exactly what we're talking about. And nobody was talking about it. They thought we were from Oz. In fact, what you just said, it was high-level uh, intelligence that was shared, which is not in the news cycle at all. It's not anywhere. You don't, you're, you're not getting that on any major network or news. They don't even talk about it. But that's really what happened. Um, that's interesting. You talk about the fact, and you go on, and this is a really fascinating piece of the reckoning. You say... That's not all they might that we might be in charge for. You you'd think that we had something to do with that. Speak about that a moment. That was really something else. And you started making some, some comparisons to other things we may be in charge of. Do you think it's really possible that our elites have uh, have thought this through and they've done exactly what that's that was a hell of a point you put in there. What do you think of that? I think that China has been stealing stuff from us since uh, at least the early 80s and maybe before that. And I think that uh, our our CIA, our, our intelligence assets have only been uh, a joke for maybe the last, call it 10 years. Uh, I think it's absolutely possible that much of the things that China has stolen, our intelligence agencies have been putting little, uh, well, we would be putting uh, kind of Trojan horses in many of those things, such that if they were to launch for example, a supersonic missile, as soon as it's up in the air, we can take control of it. And yeah, maybe the target is Washington, D.C., but guess what? It's going to explode over Beijing. So I, I think absolutely. And you know, China now, I think, knows that we have those kinds of capabilities in many of the systems that they have stolen from us. And they're probably going to be looking to try to find ways to get those out. I mean, certainly I would. Uh, for example, having that missile, have that missile ruin your your command center. You know, the first thing they're going to do is try to find how that happened and, and try to close that that back door. Well, that would be detrimental uh, to their success. Then that that would be that would be the reason they wouldn't do any strike, right? I mean, that would stop them if they really felt that. If they thought that we had a back door in it, they would absolutely not. But they would try to get rid of the back door, and, right. and then all of a sudden, the capability to use it's on the table again. Now, let me say, a lot of the headlines too were that when they first started to come out just a couple of weeks ago. Of course, this happened in August, but there was the delay, like everything, of the shot heard around the world, and the headlines were, "Oh, we were caught off guard. We were shocked. American pilot leader shocked. Our CIA, our intel. That was it. To our our intelligence community was shocked." And you're saying it's funny, a lot of the headlines, they, they're just sheeple, they go with, along with each other. But you're thinking that may not be the case. If, if, if that is accurate, what you're saying, that could be a real glimmer of hope, don't you think? It, it, it could be, but we have to get back to having a legitimate intelligence service again. Uh, okay. You might remember General Michael Flynn got fired from the head of the, uh, of the military intelligence agency by, by Barack Obama. 
What he was guilty of was presenting Barack Obama with actual intelligence. What Obama was doing was he was telling his intelligence agencies, this is what I want you to tell me. And then the intelligence agencies were turning around and, and, and trying to create information and data that would back what Obama wanted to hear. And what Michael Flynn said is, you know, to hell with that. I'm going to tell you what's actually going on, whether you want to hear it or not. And so he was continuously giving Barack Obama intelligence information that Barack Obama did not want to hear. And that's why he was fired. And, and that's why they went after him when, when, when Trump tried to, 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 to appoint him and they, see, they, they don't want him anywhere near government. Yeah. Don't you see the damage as I expressed up front, the damage that the Barack Obama eight years Marxist takeover of America, you see the damage that I don't think a lot of people, well, most of America do not see what probably you and I are seeing the damage that was done to our country was single-handedly the most damage in our lifetime, those eight years with Barack Obama. You agree with that statement? I would absolutely agree with that statement. Barack Obama changed the nature of the relationship yeah. between the governed and the governor uh, such that the government up until Barack Obama, the government really existed to serve the people. And I think we still had legitimate democratic principles in terms of how we elect our elected officials. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to say we're a republic, not a democracy. Very, very true. But yeah. we're a republic in which we use democratic means to choose our leadership. Yeah. Well, Obama flipped that and, and the, the government became uh, a vehicle to control the people. So the IRS, for example, began going after conservative groups. Uh, and now we're seeing under, under uh, the old Biden administration, we're starting to see the, the military uh, being repurposed where it used to be that the military existed to protect the American people from foreign threats. Mm -hmm. And now we're telling our military that the greatest threat to the United States is the American people. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're absolutely seeing a complete reversal of the role of the governed versus the, the government in our country. Yeah. And uh, we're the targets. At this intersection we're at as well, um, don't you believe that we are going to be better positioned if we get to the table and keep communications wide-eyed open with uh, Vladimir Putin, with uh, Xi Jinping, with uh, even, uh, even uh, uh, well, many others as well, Kim Jong-un, others, which Trump was doing, of course. Isn't that important that, you know, we went through the Cold War status before, but it, it, dialogue is important on every level, is it not? Dialogue is always important, but I think people have to understand also that if you're not strong militarily, war is, is at the end of the day, war is diplomacy by other means after, after formal diplomatic channels have failed. And, and the possibility of diplomacy failing is always out there. For example, if we found out with, with intelligence that was unquestionable that COVID-19 was released as a biological weapon in order to affect the American presidency, in order to affect the election, and that there were people in the United States, such as Fauci, who, who were, were not only directly involved, but were a part of the planning process. You know, one is we'd be at war with China. It would no longer be a cold war. It would be a hot one. And uh, at least I would hope it would be. That would be something we'd have to retaliate against. And and this is a very, very dangerous place that we're at right now. And we don't even necessarily know who all of our adversaries right. are. And many of them are in our country, in our government. People have to understand, you know, when Trump was in office, you said he could yeah. fire people. Well, he could fire the people he appointed. Mm -hmm. But one of the most powerful unions in the world is, is the uh, union of, of you know, the, the government union. And, and you can't just fire a union member because you want to. So you have you have millions of, of career bureaucrats in government that do not change roles or even necessarily change policies when the administration changes. They're, those people were, were, were undermining Trump at every turn. 
Yeah, and a lot of those agencies and middle of the road uh, government forces you're talking about, uh, there, there's a lot of spies in there. There are a lot of cancers and people, which I started the program today with that, talking about the bureaucracy uh, put in there. You know, I, I don't have time now to get into it, friends, but I've talked to you before about term limits, but I, I told you my idea is to term everything, including the upper echelons of these uh, agencies. I think everything should be uh, like the tide, the fresh tide coming in the morning from the ocean, in and out, in and out, boom, you know, it just gets all the good, the bad, same thing that needs to happen in Washington, D.C., in and out, all the way across the board, every lick and split, including the Supreme Court, I'd have everything in and out, tied in, tied out, tied in, tied out. I love always talking to Wallace Garner. It's one of my favorites. And uh, and as a writer, absolutely one of my favorites uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, more than just the fact that we communicate well back and forth and synergistically. And we can debate things as well. Very cool. But he makes you think. And I, I love these sort of things where we can have a real conversation and a dialogue and understand what the possibilities are. The way he ends it right there, and he talks about, you know, this uh, th this uh, poison, point of poison that we're at, that, you know, this could be a, a, a crisis that we're in this moment here that we all sense and feel. And then even the, even the networks and the cable channels are talking about, you're seeing that lately? Are you seeing that like I am? They're talking about China in the way that we haven't heard them before, which I find very ironic because we've been talking about it for years. And all of a sudden I'm seeing them with a bit of caution now and speaking about Xi Jinping in China and other things that are happening, they're all getting a little suspect now. So you see, it's out there. You, you see what I mean? It's out. It's that genius coming out of the bottle now. Now from there, here's the job that we have here. How do we create that opportunity from that moment? That's what you got to be thinking about. And that's what I want to talk about more, as well as from the inside of the CCP, what really goes on. Would they go to the extreme of what Wallace suggests they could do? And as he says, they'd be happy to kill five, six million or 50 million. I mean, when you got that many people, I don't. And again, the human rights around the world, they, nobody really is worried about human rights like America is. China, North Korea, Russia, certainly the Middle East, Islam, human rights, it's like people are expendable. It's like they don't really care. We're the only ones that run around and really care about the sanctity of life. That's the fight of good and evil. That's the Judeo-Christian nation. We understand life. We understand the importance of this. You see what I mean? That's really critical as well here. So getting that opportunity to come from the ashes, the phoenix is what we're talking about here. How does that happen? And what's really on the inside of that? Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to pick up this conversation uh, uh, very uniquely on Viewpoint this Sunday. And that's an invitation I'm giving you right now to join us. We'll have a few surprises there on Viewpoint this Sunday. Join us this Sunday here uh, for the program. It's our number one program on the network at 10 a.m. Uh, Sunday morning. You have coffee with us. There's an encore 6 p.m. later in the day on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Goes to podcast Sunday afternoon. Be on all the podcast networks worldwide and on the front page of America Out Loud. Now, friends, there's a lot more to talk about on the reckoning uh, and the opportunity that may be in front of us if we if we know how to use it right? and capitalize on the moment. It's a time for all patriots to step up. It's a time for uh, for leaders to lead. This is the moment we find ourselves in. Thank you, my fellow Americans, for being with me on the mission. As always, it's time to get involved and get loud.